You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. With us today is Jody Long, the writer and subject of Long Story Short, a fascinating documentary about her parents, Larry and Trudy Long, a popular husband and wife nightclub act of the 40s and 50s. The film traces the couple's rise from the Chinatown nightclub circuit to a coveted appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show and beyond. In 2001, Jody Long was cast in a Broadway-bound revival of Flower Drum Song, which was based on the Forbidden City Nightclub, one of many nightclubs that came to be known as the Chop Suey Circuit, where her vaudevillian parents were performers. Long story short, we'll screen at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, Sunday, May 4th at 2 p.m., Jody Long, welcome to film school. Hi, thank uh, you. How are you today? I'm really well. Good, good. Now, where are we reaching you? Is this New York? or? Uh, no, actually, I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, very good. Here to promote the movie. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. How's it going so far? Are we oh. treating you fairly? Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Now, now, do you remember anything about the Chop Suey Circuit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's really young, but that's where I grew up backstage. Uh-huh. I remember vividly the Forbidden City, which was in San Francisco. Uh-huh. You'd have to go through the the kitchen to get to the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Typical for a Chinese place, you yeah. know? Yeah, I remember it very well. Now, and was the Forbidden City in the Chinatown area? What, you remember the street? It was just slightly outside of the Chinatown area. Okay, more in North Beach, or, or you know what? I don't really know. Oh, okay, just go that well. So ah. I can't say, but it was just one of uh, I think about three nightclubs. There was the Sky Room, the Shanghai Low, the Forbidden City, and and the Kublai Khan. Now, was there a point in time where you realized you had a very special life there? Um, no. <laughs> um, well, I think it wasn't until I got older. And even then, you know, it, it was just kind of weird. My parents were so different than the parents that I was, the kids that where I was growing up in oh. Queens, New York. <laughs> so I never really thought of it very much until, until, you know, even when I was in college, I thought, oh God, you know, this is so corny. <laughs> and, and then I guess when, it was really more when I got to be an adult as an actor. And of course, when I got, you know, cast in Flower Drum Song, it all sort of yeah. come back in full circle. That's incredible. Now, you you said that you looked at it as corny uh, when you were going to college and all. Yeah. That's the way you, I guess we all look at our parents as being corny in some way. But, <laughs> but yeah, Well, especially true. when you know your dad is really a song and dance man. So yeah. <laughs> he gets up at any chance he can yeah. to tell a good story and embellish it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, did you leave the room then? Or did yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> God, how many times have we heard this story? <laughs> Another dad's story. At what point did you uh, decide, or what? at what point did your interest in theater uh, become such that you wanted to be an actor? I had done my first Broadway show when I was seven. Okay. Sort of like Dad kind of got me in front of Sidney Lumet, and wow. I, I sang and danced. I did a song from Flower Drum Song. Oh, my. And got cast in this Broadway musical, so I was sort of on my way, even though, you know, it wasn't something that I wanted particularly. It was just something that was natural. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the High School of Performing Arts in New York City. Oh, there you go. 
but it was mainly because I used to have a really thick Queen's accent. Oh. I used to talk like this, talk and coffee, and and so I really wanted to be a lawyer and go to Harvard. Oh, well, well, wait, no, wait a minute. So, so why, you, why did talking with a Queen's an accent, accent coach, it, why did that matter? Why did that have an impact on you going to the performing arts school? Because I knew I would learn good uh, diction. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay, and, and <laughs> all lawyers are a courtroom lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All lawyers are frustrated actors. I exactly, think, too. Exactly. Exactly. But true. once I got there, you, you know, the turning point was I did a scene. We did scene classes in acting. I did a scene from Splendor in the Grass where I played Deanie's and Natalie Wood part. Wow. And and we talk about non-traditional casting, but, you know, that's the way it went in high school. I was completely hooked. We're speaking with Jody Long. The film is Long Story Short. At what point in your life were you aware of the sort of typecasting that that pervades what we know uh, as roles for Asian Asian Americans? At what point did it hit you? that a lot of your contemporaries were locked into a certain perception? Well, I don't know about my contemporaries, but it hit me when I was in college. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't getting cast in certain roles. I was going up for the leads, like Charlotte Corday and Marasson. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't blonde, nor was I Paul Cartoonist. <laughs> but that was a really big shock, or in any of the restoration plays. And I was a classical actress, you know, I was doing Shakespeare and and restoration comedy. But then when the directors would come up and cast, they would cast like they would in the uh, real world. So that made me, in my senior year in college, I actually created a whole festival of plays and put it together. No, actually it was my junior year, and put it together where it was cast across the board colorblind. How did that go over? It went over fantastic. Wow. It was amazing. We utilized, I raised money from the Women's Union. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, my first trajectory as a producer. And I just kind of like went on this thing. And then I really made my teachers sort of sit up. And the next year I was cast in all the shows. Oh, yeah. well, there you, there you yeah. go. Well, congratulations very, very, on very that. proactive role in this. And you're in college. You're beginning to, to understand that there's sort of a, there's some, Barriers and yeah. ceilings, glass ceilings, and otherwise. Mm-hmm. At what point did you reflect back on your parents and and sort of looking in through the prism of your life into what they were probably subjected to going back into the forties and fifties? Not really until I did this film. No, oh. um, or until we found the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's an I incredible mean, in part a way, of this. You know, because you mm. know it's happening, but it's not something that becomes conscious. Yeah. And I think that the Ed Sullivan show, once we found it, and I had actually been cast, um, I guess it was, the, I had been cast in Flower Drum Song, and then I finally found it. Well, how fortuitous. Yeah. Well, I had looked, and part of the problem was that I went to the Museum of Television in New York, and they didn't have it, and the one in L.A. didn't either. But the people in L.A. actually put me on to... Um, the company that now owns all 30 years of Ed Sullivan shows, which is uh, Self Entertainment. So I finally contacted them. But of course, I mean, this is a very long story, but they didn't have my parents in the roster. Right. So it became a long story of them searching within their own files. And so anyway, to answer your question, just to go back, uh, when I finally saw the show, 
and seeing what my parents did on that show, mm-hmm. which to me seemed, you know, they kind of come out very sort of chinky Chinaman, yeah. you know. And then they take, my father takes off his Chinese gown and mm. has a tuxedo underneath mm. and then proceeds to be not Asian. And I thought, my God, how subversive, how, yeah. uh, you know, uh, before their time that they said, okay, we're going to give you exactly what you think we are. And then we're going to open that up, break it out. You must have been thrilled to finally have found that footage because oh. it sounds like it was it was quite a journey getting hold of it. Absolutely. You know, there, I mean, the, the way I understand it, it was indexed wrong, and, and there was a very helpful person at that agency. Which you humorously that, that, recount in the yeah, film, yes. Yeah, that, that put it all together for you. Yeah. Now, well, it was because they had been on the show with Nat King Cole and Anna Maria Alberghetti. Right. And they were not even listed in being in the same show together. Not only were my parents not in the, the database, but Nat and Cole and Anna Maria Alberghetti had never been on the same show, according to the records. Yeah. So they kept telling me that my parents were mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, well, I don't think so. And unbelievably, this woman thought about it. Yeah. And I said it was the, the debut of Anna Maria Alberghetti. So she went into the files, and she looked for the debut and screened it. And Ed Sullivan comes on, and he says, and now a woman who made her debut last week on our show and is backed by popular demand. There you go. So when they went to find that tape, they couldn't find it, and then they had to go back into the big files. I want to go back to this point in your life because just from my own personal experience, speak from from myself. By the way, we're speaking with Jody Longen, who is in many ways the heart and soul of this documentary. Long story short, going back and looking at your parents in a different way, because mm-hmm. I think we as children think of our parents in a certain way. We have this picture of them, mm-hmm. and we don't see them as having faced the same travails and barriers and challenges that we have in our life. And did this cause you to, as I said, you you look at them differently after you've seen this Ed Sullivan show? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I saw them as pioneers, which that's come a long way from corny, right? And also, you know, I felt, I mean, I think that was one of the impetuses for the film. It started with somebody else, and then... It kind of got put in my lap, and then I got it to Christine Choi. And Chris just really, when she saw the Ed Sullivan material, she was like, wow, we have to. We have to do this film. We have to finish it. We've got to put that out for not just Asian Americans, but to see where we've come. This is our history, you know, in in terms of have things changed? Mm, Maybe a little bit, a little bit. You know, it still isn't as great as I would like it to be. You know, when I was a very um, starry-eyed, optimistic, and idealistic college student, you know, I was going to change the world and come out and be, you know, the first um, Asian-American Shakespearean actress. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Well, It seems like you learned a lot. Nobody cares about Shakespeare anymore. (laughs) To see that they experience a lot of prejudice and um, racial discrimination. And yes, there is some of that. It's, it's very, very, uh, what's the word? It's, it's not overt racism. Right. It's much more underground. People don't even know. Isn't it, isn't it really, it's somewhat about expectations. 
isn't that sort of the heart of this is that when you come, well, at least your parents anyway, were coming up and looking for work, there was only a range of certain things that they would be allowed to do in a theatrical setting or whatever. And otherwise, they would have not been able to work. I mean, wouldn't, would that Absolutely. have been the consequences of it? But so. that's still the case today. Yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking it because, you know, it, I make a living as an actress. Sure. But it's, um, you know, how many Korean mothers have I played with Korean accents? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, yeah. and and I, you know, I look at it and I go, well, you know, it's a job. And I see other people do. I don't knock people for doing that. Right. But when I say, well, where are the parts that are not just the supporting doctors and lawyers, um, people who are just ushering, you know, in television and in film? I mean, it's a little different in film, but those film roles are given to people who are really from Asia. They don't look to the Asian Americans. It's really rare. I mean, you know, Sandra Oh has broken through. On Grey's Anatomy. On Grey's Anatomy and, you know, and in Sideways and Lucy Liu. But it's, my, it's really difficult. They go and they get Gong Li. Yeah, right. You know, look at, um, you know, Memoirs of a Geisha. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Have, have you ever played an Asian American with a uh, Queen's accent? Not yet. I, <laughs> I keep, I keep, you know, I go into these auditions and I go, come on, this is who I am. And, and they think it's really funny. Yeah, but they haven't quite gone there yet. Yeah, what do you, why do you think that is? It sounds like they're, they're afraid to take chances. It is it, less to do maybe with racism there than it is they're afraid of losing their job. or Losing money. Well, they're locked into a, a stereotype. Uh, only because they think everyone else is locked into that stereotype. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the expectation. Once again, we're speaking with Jody Long. The film is Long Story Short. It's And it's really about Larry and Trudy. This film is about your parents yeah. and yeah. about what they were facing in their life and their life together, their life apart, your family. Your dad is, is such a live wire. He's such a remarkable kind of personality. I was wondering about when he uh, was trying for the role in Flower Drum Song. Did that really affect him as much as uh, I, I got out of the film? He got the role, and then he was fired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. The, you know, a couple of weeks into it, it wasn't working for him. I think it was a turning point because my dad was like a little Asian guy who was from Australia. So he had this big chip on his shoulder, and he was very macho. He was. So anybody who was trying to put him in his place, he would be right there in their face. And, I mean, talk about embarrassing when you're a kid, right? Yeah. So I think that, you know, he was experiencing a certain amount of discrimination. That was granted. But there was also this other part of him that would shoot himself in the foot. Yeah. And that, I think, comes through in the film. Yeah, he, he he definitely does. He has that kind of square jaw mentality. You can see it when he's sitting there, when he when he's talking to you, uh, talking about things in his life. He just has that. You have that sense that he he didn't take guff from too many people no. in his life. Yeah. And you know, but even in the end, or not the end, but you know, when Taima asks him, he goes, "Well, Larry, why don't you? You know, you were like Mickey Rooney and Sammy Davis Jr., you know, a song and dance guy. Yeah, why don't you think you made it?" And he says, bad representation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. This is true. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've got to tell you, one of my favorite favorite parts of this film, long story short, is the uh, the scenes where he's watching 
uh, he and Trudy's appearance on Ed Sullivan. Right. And he says he doesn't remember. And what he doesn't remember, or, or he thought they bombed. One of the two, I'm not quite sure if he... He didn't remember much, but he thought they bombed it. And, right. and, and, he, and then you show him watching it, and he's mouthing every, every word, every, that, sentence. every sentence, everything that's going on. It's really quite a, a, a touching moment in the film. I really oh. enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank you. We so. haven't really mentioned uh, Christine uh, Choi. No. As, as the, she's the director. That's correct. Who, who has a pedigree here. She was a, a director of an Academy Award-nominated film. Who killed Vincent Chin uh, yeah. back in 1989? And how, what a, what a how did you uh, meet her? Yeah. Ah. Well, I've known Chris for I don't know so many years, like back before she did Who Killed Vincent Chin, and we were both just knocking around being bohemian artists <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> and I think we dated the same guy at one point, <laughs> or not at the same time, but at yeah. different times. And yeah. um, you know, we were just kind of rabble rousing and you know being bohemians. So I knew her from then, and I hadn't seen her for many, many years. And I ran into her, and I just must must say that the project started through a friend of mine, Sally Nemeth, who was a screenwriter and playwright, and who had said, you know, this is when I was auditioning for Flowers and Songs. She was like, this is such a great story, you know, and she started following me around with a camera. Uh And then, you know, ran out of money and stuff, and Flowers and Song kind of came and went. And then handed me the material. So I ran into Chris um, just, I don't know, four or five years ago, and I said, hey, you know, I've got this material and blah, blah, blah. Are you still making films? And she was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I had I'm the chair of NYU Film Department. I'm still making films. Send it to me. <laughs> uh, so um, I did, and she saw it and just completely fell in love with the Ed Sullivan footage, mm-hmm. and said, "Let's let's raise the money," mm-hmm. and that's you know that's how it started. <laughs> I want to ask a quick question mm-hmm. because the the arc of this story has to do with the flower flower drum song. Mm-hmm. In what ways has the as the play itself changed in ways that you find significant in terms of beginning to break down some of these uh, perceptions about Asian Americans? Well, I I really think that the whole idea of assimilation, even though it was there in the original, David Wong took it to a different step that makes it more relevant to Asian Americans today. You know, it's no longer the, well, she she wasn't a picture bride, mainly. I mean, she was in the original, but in this one, she's escaping China communist china and she's got a lot more verve and you know and determination to kind of assimilate into this country and make it yeah you know as opposed to i'm just coming over here to marry some guy right the old master ends up being transformed in in the play he david really kind of changed a a lot of some of the characters around and stuff and including the character that i played which um, went from the maiden aunt to you know, this feisty theatrical agent who you later find out in the film was based on Jadine Wong, who was one of the first Asian-American agents in this country. Right. Which, representing Asian-American talent. Which we see in the film. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Which which may have been the representation your father needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, yes. And you also yourself have produced, an, as you referred to earlier in the interview, you've, you've produced many of your own works, including your one-woman show. That's correct. So. Um, that was just uh, more recently in the last uh, 
what, two years ago, whatever it was, I wrote this play called Surfing DNA that is just a little bit is in the um, the movie, and I think it was because Chris really just thought, you know, this is a great way to kind of bring it all together because I had actually written my dad into the play <laughs> at one point at the Public Theater in New York, and she found that that footage so irresistible. Yeah. She says, we have to use this footage. I was like, well, how are you going to use the footage? I mean, how are you going to explain that? So that's why just a little bit of surfing is is woven through the movie. Yeah. It's a very, very good documentary. Um, a touching documentary. A touching documentary yeah. and with your family and, and your family story. How's your mom? She's good. She's okay. good. Uh, we just came back from the San Francisco Asian American yeah. Film Festival, and I got her to go and uh, to go back to uh, the scene of the crime where she used to spend her youth at the Forbidden City. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was that like? She, it was great. She had a great time. We were sold out in our two screenings, and at the end of one, all these young girls went up to her for her autograph. Oh, and my mother's nice. 85. Wow. And so she was like, she was completely flummoxed. She was like, what do you want my autograph for? You should for Jody's autograph. <laughs> oh, and they were like, no, 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 we want your autograph. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, she looks great. I saw yeah. her on, on your blog, which is right off the uh, Long Story Short website. And, uh-huh. and do you look great. Oh. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and people can get to all this information about uh, Long Story Short through uh, Film School website. I'm going to w- remind our listeners that Long Story Short will be screening at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival on Sunday, May 4th at 2 p.m. At the DGA. At the DGA, the Directors Guild of America uh, Theater. The Film Festival will also be screening at the Lemley Five Sunset and and the Directors Guild of America. And the Japan American Theater. Theater. And the Japan America, thank you, uh, American. And that will be May 1st through May 8th, a week-long cinema blowout of Asian films. Absolutely. And uh, so thank you so much for being here, Jody Long. The film is, long story short, thank you. To learn more about Film School... Listen to more interviews or subscribe to our podcast. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.